are with us. So much to get to here on the show. We'll hear from Dabo and Kirby Smart ahead of Georgia Clemson uh, coming up this weekend. We'll also hear from uh, Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Also, Sean Elliott, head football coach at Georgia State as they get started uh, this weekend against uh, Army. And Gaurav Vidak of uh, Talking Chop will join us after the Braves finally lost one on the road uh, to the Dodgers last night. And uh, we'll hear from him coming up in the final hour of the program. But a lot of news and notes. B.J. Bennett. Zeb Noland, yes, write that down if you had it preseason way back in the spring that Zeb Noland was going to be the starter for South Carolina. A not even a walk on, a graduate assistant, the guy who's charting plays, the guy who makes sure there's enough Gatorade on the sideline at practice for everybody to drink, the guy who makes sure uh, to help with the tackling dummies and that the, uh, the, the practice stations are set up correctly. He's now the starting quarterback at South Carolina. It's a movie, right, Kevin? I mean, it is. It's a 30 for 30 down the line. I mean, uh, when this news first came out about the possibility of uh, Zeb Nolan kind of moving into the mix just to be a practice quarterback or to maybe be a backup quarterback or to help uh, just prepare everybody for the start of the season, uh, the, the response was, wow, this is awesome. This is a cool story. And then it became, okay, he's in competition to actually play and now it looks like per the depth chart he's going to be the starter and I can't remember anything like this in my time covering college football uh this is a this is a quarterback who's played at North Dakota State has played at Iowa State clearly still has one year of eligibility remaining but to your point a couple of weeks ago he was a coach graduate assistant on the roster you have the injury to Luke Doty I know his timetable for a return is still unknown uncertain and uh, not a lot of depth on the quarterback uh, roster, on the roster for quarterbacks. Yeah, so you go with a, a guy who is just a grad transfer, and if he comes out, plays well, looks the part, makes some throws, this is a story that, that doesn't have many parallels, Kev. I can't really think of anything like this. So congrats to Zeb, winning the job. And uh, everybody's going to be watching. He's a starting quarterback in the SEC. It says a lot about what South Carolina, as you said, BJ, does not have in terms of their quarterback uh, situation there. But uh, just a bunch of quick notes to, uh, to get to. Sanford going to wear Bobby Bowden decals on their helmet, one of the places uh, they will play. I don't know if Florida State has announced. I'm sure they will do something, uh, BJ, to honor Bobby Bowden here in the, uh, the 2021 season. Of course, Hurricane Ida blowing through. Prayers out to uh, all the folks down in New Orleans and lower Louisiana uh, dealing with, uh, with that. But Tulane now going to host... Oklahoma in Norman. So uh, I think Tulane will still be the home team, but they will do so at Oklahoma's place uh, coming up on Saturday. And Vanderbilt announces that Ken Seals will be the starter for Vanderbilt. So we're starting to see this come out last handful of days across the SEC where there's been, you know, maybe some ambiguity about who's going to be the starter. We're starting to see all those being named here in the last uh, handful of days leading up to the opener. Yeah, and I, of course, echo your sentiments. You know, we wish the best uh, – for everybody down in the Louisiana area and uh, thoughts and prayers uh, to to those folks. And uh, we hope that, that that everything gets back to normal as, as soon as possible. I know that just just been some sheer devastation down there, and it's and it's really tough to see. Um, and with and with Bobby Bowden, uh, you, 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 of course, have a Bobby Bowden statue in front of the stadium in Tallahassee. You also have Bobby Bowden statue at the Sanford uh, Stadium. So, yes, Florida State will do something, uh, of, of, of course. I'm sure there will be – sort of logo or, or, or something to uh, recognize the legendary coach, but very cool to see uh, Samford do that as well. And then, you know, Kev, you think about 
uh, starting quarterbacks in the SEC, not a surprise with Ken Seals to me. He did a nice job last year at Vanderbilt, and you didn't have the the wins that you wanted, but given that you had some limited options and you were playing an all-SEC schedule and he was a freshman, I thought you did a really nice job, uh, 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 Ken Seals. So is he one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC? Maybe. You don't have a ton of experience at that position league-wide. Uh, Seals had some really good performances, had a positive touchdown-to-interception ratio. I think like a lot of the quarterbacks league-wide, needs to clean up the proficiency a little bit, be a little more effective with your completion percentage, try to push the ball downfield a bit more if you can, and we'll see how Clark Lee uh, develops this offense for Vanderbilt. But I think that was something we saw coming, Seals winning the job there in Nashville. Uh, certainly, as we, again, count it down to the opening Saturday of, uh, of college football. Y- y- has anything surprised you thus far, BJ, in terms of somebody winning a job? I know we talked uh, briefly about Joe Milton uh, winning it there in, in Tennessee. Has anything surprised you coming down a stretch here to start the regular season in terms of uh, a depth chart or roster move? Yeah, you mentioned the um, the the depth chart there at quarterback in, in in Tennessee with Milton winning the job. I didn't know what to think there because you have Josh Heupel coming in with a new offense, a new scheme, very up tempo, and all three of your options were very talented. A uh, Hendon Hooker coming over after a uh, season and a half starting for Virginia Tech, Joe Milton after a season starting for Michigan, uh, uh, Harrison Bailey, a former five star recruit. So you had talented options there, Brian Moore obviously transferring. You had talented options, and it seems like Milton had a really good camp, and I think expectations are high for him. A lot of excitement around Tennessee's offense. He's a big reason why. One thing that I've been a little bit surprised by is we haven't seen a starter name for, for Florida State, Kevin, and the Seminoles don't play until Sunday. They take on Notre Dame Sunday night, I believe, in Tallahassee, and I think the expectation – for some time has been that we're going to see both quarterbacks. And by both quarterbacks, I mean Mackenzie Milton, the transfer from Central Florida, who won, among other things, a national championship uh, down in Orlando. And then Jordan Travis, who did a really good job in tough circumstances for the Knowles a year ago, uh, a guy that had some really impressive big plays last season. The Seminoles want him to be a little bit more consistent, but I think the expectation for some was that even if we see both quarterbacks – maybe you'll have a starter announced a week or two into fall camp. And right now, as you mentioned at the start of the show, one of those situations where you have a or there on the first team, it's Jordan Travis or Mackenzie Milton. And I think both guys are talented. Both guys uh, can help this team win, but no starter name yet for FSU. Yeah, and again, we'll see. That's one of those uh, either-ors, I think, situations that we talked about. Georgia Southern's kind of got an either-or situation, uh, BJ, going on, where we uh, we look at Florida State, it's either going to be this guy or this guy. And uh, it, it kind of seems like where you have some, some transition there, sometimes you can't make a decision, so you want to see what happens in real live game action and let it play out. And it seems like that's what... You know, Georgia Southern and, uh, and Florida State are going to do in their first couple of games. Of course, Georgia Southern expecting Justin Tomlin back for game three. But obviously, you've seen it around college football where quarterback change happens, and it's, well, it's either this guy or this guy. And it's, it's like teams can't make up their mind who they want to go with and, and, and pick a starter. But I do think there's a chance at a number of different schools you see multiple quarterbacks played throughout the year, at least in the early portion of the season. I definitely think at Florida State – you're going to see Mackenzie Milton and Jordan Travis. Uh, I think at Tennessee, there's a chance, and especially if you get off to a good start against against Bowling Green in a couple of days, I think there's a chance you see Milton 
And then kind of regardless of what happens later in the game, assuming you have a big lead, you'll see Hendon Hooker, see Harrison Bailey. At LSU, once everybody's healthy, will we see Max Johnson and Miles Brennan potentially? Will you see multiple quarterbacks at South Carolina if Zeb Nolan plays well? Or is it only a matter of time until Luke Doty comes back and, and he's the guy? I think there are a couple of different spots. Perhaps Kentucky in the SEC where you see multiple quarterbacks come in and play. So I don't think it's going to be as straightforward straightforward with some of these quarterback battles as it's been in the past where it's this guy's the one, this guy's the two, this guy's the three. I think there are talented options and options plural, you know, two, three guys at multiple schools. And it wouldn't surprise me if you see some high-profile programs play multiple quarterbacks or kind of semi-rotate quarterbacks depending upon the situation on the roster. Now, if somebody gets hot, maybe you ride that and you never turn back. We're going to have to see what happens with Georgia Southern where it looks like Cam Ransom probably going to get the start. Sam Kennerson going to play. What does that mean for Tomlin when he comes back? But I think I think you're going to see more multiple quarterback systems in college football this season, whether it's because guys do things a little bit differently but are equally effective or whether it's because the coach is still looking for stability and kind of playing out the competition through the first couple of weeks of the season. I I, I think you're going to see a, a fair number of teams go with multiple quarterbacks, at least situationally. And again, we're coming right down to we'll have uh, football what tomorrow. Uh, Christian corrected me about that on the show, uh, PJ, uh, BJ. So we got football tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, uh, to get things going here in the college football season. Teams kind of finalizing uh, their roster, of course. No question about what's going to happen there at Georgia and Clemson. We already know who the starters are going to be there, uh, BJ. And uh, again, it's JT Daniels and DJU, uh, two guys that a lot is expected of here in 2021. And two guys that know each other well, you know, uh, uh, from Southern California, played against each other uh, in, in in high school football and have come to Georgia and Clemson respectively and have programs on the verge of, at least from perception standpoint, a national championship. Clemson and Georgia, Clemson obviously are two of the national frontrunners, and Uyanga Lale and Daniels are big reasons why. Not only is this a huge game for Georgia and Clemson as teams trying to position themselves for a spot in the college football playoff. I think the winner here, and it sounds crazy, we're still in August to talk about the Heisman Trophy. I think the winner here, if, if, if they have a big performance, might be the early favorite. Uh, we'll have to see what happens with Spencer Rattler and Sam Howell. Sam Howell's going to play on Friday night uh, up at Virginia Tech, but everybody's going to be watching Saturday night when Daniels and Uwe Angelale go head-to-head, and both guys are already very well-known. Both guys had, albeit in limited action, really impressive, proficient performances a year ago. And the preseason buzz is there for both quarterbacks. Whoever wins that Georgia-Clemson game, assuming the quarterback plays pretty well, uh, you might be looking at a early, early Heisman Trophy front runner with either Uyangalale or Daniels. But it's going to be fun. Guys that competed against each other from the same area uh, back in high school in Southern California, now on the big stage, the bright lights, Saturday night in Charlotte. Everybody's going to be watching and everybody's going to be talking about what happens and which quarterback leads their team to victory. And we've got more to get to on that. We'll hear from Dabo. We'll hear from Kirby when we come back as George and Clemson now just a couple of days away, handful of days away from getting on underway there in Charlotte to get the season going. It's three and out on this Tuesday. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We have live audio streaming as well, ESPNCoastal.com. 
Also, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, you can catch the show there as well. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Welcome back, three and out. Georgia, Clemson coming up on Saturday night. Everyone getting excited about this one. Certainly, Dabo and Kirby uh, getting excited about uh, this one as well as a uh, program benchmark uh, for both of these two guys. And now uh, we're going to hear from Dabo and Kirby here on the show. First, first up, we got a couple of clips from uh, from Dabo BJ. First, talking about just getting ready to play this football game on Saturday. And uh, you know, huge, huge challenge, obviously. Uh, in Georgia, I think this is, I, I think it's the fourth time in the last 21 years, I guess, since 2000, that, that there's been a top five matchup as an opener. So these are rare, rare, rare moments um, that you have games like this. So really difficult challenge uh, right out of the gate, uh, playing a team that's, that's, you know, good enough to win the whole thing. Uh, so but we're excited about it, look forward to it. And, uh, you know, when you look at Georgia, uh, they're they're built in the trenches on both sides, uh, massive, massive uh, on both sides. You know they're built to stop the run. They've led the country two years in a row in uh, in rush defense and yards per carry. You know nobody's really ran the ball on them. You know they've had a moment here or there, um, but you know really stout, uh, very aggressive as far as how they uh, support the run. Uh, but they're built up the middle. I mean, 99 and 95 are, are, are pros, and they're as good as you're going to find. Big, strong pocket movers. Uh, you know, they just don't get moved at the point of attack very often. And then, and then you know, the backers, outstanding players, very, very uh, experienced. And then those safeties, great players, uh, very involved in the run game, physical. Uh, so, you know, this is a, a team built built right up the middle and uh, very, very strong on that side. So, no, we got our hands full there. And that was Dabo talking, just kind of overview of looking at Georgia. It kind of sounds like what a lot of coaches say, oh, they're big, they're huge, uh, but really complimentary about where Georgia's strong right up the middle uh, there on defense, BJ. Well, and he's right. Starts with Jordan Davis right there. Uh, And then linebackers, safeties that play physically. Uh, I I think his scouting report, while you might say, oh, that's coach speak, but when talking about Georgia – he was he was 100% correct. I also thought that it was a good perspective from 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 Coach Swinney right there to say, hey, games like these are rare. Only the you know only a couple of times in the last 20 years have we seen a top five opener. And he's right. That's why there's so much attention and hype and the anticipation is there. And that's why we've been talking about it, Kevin, for five months. Is these these games don't come around very often. And uh, Dabo pointing it out right there. Uh, certainly, he went on to, to talk further about this uh, breakdown with Georgia coming up on Saturday night. No, we got our hands full there. Um, you know, schematically, they do a great job. They force you to have to make plays. They don't give you anything. You got to make plays. Uh, very aggressive in how they how they um, you know schematically do things. And then flip side on the offense, very impressed with their quarterback. Uh, he got some great experience and some great confidence last year. Um, uh, you know, with how the season ended for them, uh, made some big, big plays in some in some critical moments. You know, down in the you look at the Mississippi State game, you know, late in the season. I mean, he he they they had a some tight plays right there, and he made three or four throws uh, 
you know, to, to get that go-ahead score. They dropped a couple of them, and he just he just kept battling, kept putting the ball right where it needed to be. So just really impressed with his moxie. Uh, you can tell he's a good leader. He's got great arm talent. Uh, they're going to get off the bus, you know, running the football and play action. You know, shots down the field. I mean, there's not a lot of not a lot of dink and dunking going on. You know, they got a great screen game uh, that they will that they will manipulate you with, but. You know they want to run the football and they want to get the ball over the top of you, and uh, and the, and this quarterback has the ability to do it, and the receivers uh, as well. They've recruited very well, um, and uh, you know again good players all across the board. So there's uh, Dabo again. Just further talking about that more about uh, J T. Daniels and what they're facing there. I think the quarterback battle, B J. As we talked about last segment, going to be uh, phenomenal in this one. But uh, they're big on both sides of the ball, as he said. And now you got to stop. A quarterback that's uh, obviously in JT Daniels done some good things for Georgia. And he, I think, like a lot of people will reference, reference the games late in the season where he came in and really played well. Yeah, and pointed out the Mississippi State game where Daniels was just extraordinary. But also mentioned that Georgia likes to run the football and set up the pass with the run via play action and talked about how they're going to get off the bus wanting to run the football. And that's been a big key to, to beating or at least competing with Clemson over the last couple of years, uh, over the past four years, when the Tigers have given up over 150 yards rushing to their opponent, they're nine and four. And you may think, oh, well, they still have, yeah, but they're nine and four. So four teams have, have beaten them. When they've allowed less than 150 yards, they are 42 and one. They are 42 and one. So if you look at keys for getting to that 150 yard rushing mark, may be the key to this game, and uh, Coach Sweeney talking about it there, how Georgia's going to want to run the football. And, of course, uh, we, we go to the other side. You talk about uh, what Kirby Smart's looking at. He addressed uh, getting ready for this Clemson game. Um, opening comments and thoughts. Obviously excited about this game. Uh, it seems like it's been a long time coming. We've had a good camp in terms of working at ourselves. We've moved on to Clemson since, I guess, about Wednesday last week. Uh, Wednesday or Thursday, we started uh, working on these guys, and, you know, we got a chance to watch them all summer, and we watched them in the spring. They're really talented. Uh, <laughs> probably one of the best defenses I've ever seen returning in terms of number of starts and number of games played. The, the volume of experience is unmatched anywhere, anytime. And I've been in college football a long time in terms of just how much uh, football those guys have played. Um, and, you know, obviously their quarterback got some experience last year when Trevor was down. Got one of the biggest arms I've ever seen. Uh, very talented, very hard to defend. It's like every play is is really tough to defend when you play these guys. There's no uh, time to rest uh, when you're playing. And then special teams-wise, you know, they've always had good specialists. They continue to. That's a rich history in this game tradition. Both teams have always had great specialists. Uh, and I think special teams will play a big part of uh, this outcome of this game. There's Dabo talking about getting ready for Clemson and went on to say why, you know, Kirby talking about playing Clemson. I'm sorry. We get Dabo Kirby on first name basis with all these guys. Sorry. Uh, we were talking about getting ready to play Clemson and just talking about, he went on to talk about the opportunity. BJ said, look, the bottom line is our kids come to the University of Georgia to play in big games, had an opportunity to play a really good opponent. For me, it's what Georgia's all about. Fans crave these kind of games. We as coaches crave these kind of games. You find out a lot more about yourself when you play these kinds of games, uh, and that's what they're doing, playing Clemson. I think for the fans, we've talked about this. When you talk about the direction of college football and why the Big Ten 
ACC and Pac-12 are talking about scheduling alliances because you want to see more games like this become the norm on the schedules. Yeah, and, and I think that's going to be the case. And the hype from the media standpoint, the fan standpoint is is one thing. But when you hear coaches talk so uh, just, just kind of reverently about this game and about, hey, a top five matchup to open the season and I'm going position by position and these guys are great everywhere. One of the Kirby saying one of the most experienced defenses I've ever seen. Uyanga Lale, one of the strongest arms I've ever seen. These guys are telling the truth and they're providing context for what is a really special game, what should be a really special matchup Saturday night in Charlotte. Uh, it was also, I thought, spot on for me to hear Kirby Smart talk about the special teams because we always overlook special teams, just the way it goes. You think about big plays and quarterbacks and linebackers, but Georgia's had extraordinary special teams play recently. And you think about Jack Podlesny, uh, the big kick, of course, in the Peach Bowl. You think about Jake Camarda. Uh, these are guys that can help you win games. Field position is going to matter. Making sure you don't leave points now off the board. You know, if you're if you're can only get down to the 20-yard line, well, there's a big difference in three points and a missed opportunity at three points, especially in a game where I think it's going to be competitive and tight throughout. And uh, Coach Smart is right. A ton of huge special teams moments uh, in this series, going back to Kevin Butler and the 60-yarder to beat Clemson, one of the great kicks in the history of college football. So I agree. The quarterbacks, of course. The defenses, of course. But special teams might play a big role as well. Yeah, and again, this one uh, going to be huge there on Saturday night, and it's been the game that everybody's been waiting on for, as you said, BJ, months and months. We'll continue to talk more about uh, this game, some other games out there. I mean, we have five top 25 games this week and it, where teams in the top 25 are playing one another. So actually a pretty good opening week of college football here where five or actually 10 teams in the top 25 are playing one another here this weekend. We've got more to come here on three, not including, I'm scared to say, because all Christian will say is we're going to do something different. BJ shaking has, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So something new coming up next. I don't know what it is. We'll all find out together here on 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Borges board to uh, to steal one from Ben BJ uh, of uh, of college football, but now we do something different. All I know is we're doing something college football here on the show. I don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. I'm not even really sure Christian knows what it is, but he said we're doing it. So here we go. Lay it on us, Christian. Oh, we're all very scared as to what is about to happen. Yes, he's on a, on a zero right now. Great. Uh, so, you guys watch Ted Lasso at all? No. Apparently, BJ can hear nobody uh, here on the show. No, I can hear you, Kevin. Okay. I cannot hear Christian. BJ, can you hear me? Yes. I okay, now he's with yes. us. Goodness gracious. You got Cam over here I was sitting there nervous. going, why is Kevin saying I'm not responding? I can't hear anything. I got I, – l- listen, that's not your fault, Cam. This That's BJ's fault. Uh, <laughs> so either, do either one of you guys watch Ted Lasso? No. 
Oh, there's no. DJ. No, oh, there's a lot wrong with both of you guys. Well, there's a character on it named Keely, and uh, in this season, she has come up with an app where it's basically like Tinder and Bumble, where it's like swiping, but you don't actually see the other person. You just you have to some see some character traits within them, and some conversation would actually then stimulate whether or not you match with them. So we're doing that but with the college football playoff. So I have 16 teams here. You're not going to know which teams they are, but I had I had them put together a profile that try to put their best foot forward. And so we're going to go through this, and basically we, I have four different quadrants. And you guys are going to select the college football playoff based on which one of these. And you guys have to agree. You okay. guys have to work together. All right? We can do it. So quadrant one. Hold on. So we're so we're guessing what team it is. Like no. You're saying what? No. You. I will reveal what teams you have selected after you have selected them. Are you with me? We are with you. All right. So team one A, and I'm just going to go through four, and then you guys will select one out of the four. Okay. Team one A, they have 13 returning starters. Their longest win streak in 2020 was four. They did average 32.3 points per game on offense and gave up just 321 yards per game. So that's Team 1A. Team 1B, they lost 85% of their offensive production from last year. Seven out of 22 of their projected starters are upperclassmen. So only seven out of 22 are actually upperclassmen. They're going to play six ranked teams this year, but they've won three straight bowl games. So they're getting it done in the postseason. I thought that was Florida until you said the three straight bowl wins. Three straight bowl wins. Uh, Team 1C, they lost their top two pass rushers, or excuse me, lost their top two rushers, like running backs, to the NFL. They will return 13 starters. They're going to play a team that didn't play football in 2020. And the most common name on their team is Will. And finally, Team 1D, they have 18 returning starters. They had three top 25 wins in 2020. Average 537 yards per game on offense, and they have the 50th toughest schedule. So which out of those four yeah, are take, you guys going to choose? I'll take D. More returning starters, the easiest schedule. I, I, I'm, that one sounded pretty good to me, BJ. No, I would take the different approach. I would take the team that lost 85% of their production because that means that's a team that's highly established. Because think about this. If you're a mediocre team and you lost 85% of your production, you would not be viewed. I will as say a this: there is some playoff. twist. There is some twist in this one. I just didn't pick the top 16 teams in the country. This, there's some twist in this. So some of these teams are not playoff contenders. Yes, that's what he's saying. They, he, they all I have a chance. I, I he, didn't hear him say that. So they, they so all have all a chance. He's just reading the resumes of teams that are out there. They all have a chance. I don't know. I, but I this isn't like one take, through 16. I, Kevin, to me, I would take the team that lost that much production because if you lost that much production, that means that you're considered, at least theoretically, as I'm viewing this, you're considered a contender regardless of how much production you lose. Not necessarily. <laughs> Not necessarily. I, I, I will take the team that's bringing back a bunch of starters. Well, you guys got to agree. No. Is it 1B no, no, or 1B? You don't, you, don't want to bring, you don't want to bring back a bunch of starters. Man, Alabama 537 back- yards per game? You don't Who want to bring the, back a uh, bunch of starters. This is also 2021 where everybody got a free year of football. So I don't know which one was which one was uh which one was the one that lost everybody? 1B. 
All right, so you're going to stick with this. You want D, Kevin? I would take D, but if you want to go B, let's see how – let's see. I'm Because now I'm intrigued as to who this is. All right, let's I go I feel B. like it's going to be really bad, so I'm so, willing to so go. So on 1B? I'm willing to go with the bad, yes. All right, 1B has been selected. All right, moving on to the second keeping quadrant. Keeping notice to who 1D is because I, 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 I got I'm keeping notes. All right, <laughs> moving on to the second quadrant. 2A, they have the 47th most difficult schedule. They have 11 returning starters. They gave up 304 passing yards per game last year, and they're starting a true freshman quarterback. Team 2B has 17 returning starters. They're returning a quarterback that averaged 13 yards per completion. They gave up 137 yards on the ground, but they have lost their last five bowl games. Team 2C, they will host schools like at home from four different conferences. Average 430 yards per game. They returned their top three leading rushers. Lost their only two games against ranked teams in 2020. And finally, Team 2D. They were one game over 500. Won their conference. Gave up 406 yards per game. And in the not-too-distant past, they won a bowl game 7-6. to six. <laughs> I feel like I should know who that team is. So two A, two B, two C, or two D. I, I kind of think, Kev. I kind of think the team that has lost five bowl games in a row is, do? is due for a market correction. <laughs> yeah, and they had like they had a decent amount of guys coming back, right? Seventeen. Yeah, I mean, I, I just if you've lost five bowl games in a row, that probably means you've been the, playing decent competition. Are the playoffs considered bowl in, games? Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I. That's the one that stands out to me. But, I feel like two B is. One. I feel like two B is what Penn, is probably Penn State. No, because that, that no that can't be because they, they kind of. Uh, you said two B is Penn State. I, I kind of feel like I don't it know, was. Kevin. I, don't know, I, I I kind of took the lead on the last one. I like the team that's lost five straight bowl games, but I de- I'll defer to you. Yeah, let's go with that. I mean, right. look, I I will take B. But I I feel like two B is Penn State. Maybe right. it's not I the like team it. that lost two games to ranked teams, and that's what they but. I don't know. All right. Maybe I'm wrong. They were bad last year. The third one is interesting to me because this is my one loss in 2020 quadrant here. All right? So all these teams only had one loss? Correct. Team 3A has 20 returning starters. They've won three consecutive bowl games. Average 422 yards per game on offense, but they had just one ranked win. All right? Team 3B... 19 returning starters, 218 rushing yards per game. They do not play a Power 5 out-of-conference opponent, though. That's Coastal Carolina. Team I feel like Team 1 C, is Liberty. Team 3C, they have a new quarterback coming in. Again, only one loss in 2020. They returned three out of their four leading rushers, and the defense gave up less than 100 yards per game on the ground. So playing some some solid defense. And finally, Team 3D, 14 returning starters. They had three ranked wins last season, and the quarterback had over 3,000 total yards in a shortened season. I feel like one. No, I feel like A and B are Coastal not, Carolina and Liberty. No, no, Coastal Carolina plays plays. Uh, don't they play somebody out of a out of the Power Five, Kansas? No. Okay, then you're probably right. Yeah, you're probably right there. I think they have been. I think so. I think uh, Liberty was one uh, was the was the A, and I think Coastal Carolina is B. Not sure about the other two. Well, who are we going with? 
I think Louisiana. Did Louisiana only had one, one loss. Kev. You take this one, Kevin. Uh, let's let me roll with B. I think it might be Coastal Carolina. I think All that's right. a Kevin's uh, going with B. <laughs> we'll see how bad this is at the end of this segment. All right, and our final Christian's qua- already giggling, so it's already <laughs> you know what's going to be our bad. final quadrant here. This one's exciting. Team 4A averaged 495 yards per game. They were 3-2 and two in ranked games. They have eight returning starters on defense, and they gave up 351 yards per game on defense. Team 4B, they returned their quarterback and their four leading rushers, broke a four-game bowl losing streak last year, have their three most important conference games at home, and they returned five starters on the offensive line. Team 4C... They have 17 returning starters, return their quarterback into one-up. Team 4B, return the quarterback and their leading five rushers, right? Average 4.1 yards per carry and 191 yards per game on the ground in 2020. And their defense returns 10 starters. Finally, Team 4D, offense returns 10 starters, had 201 yards per game on the ground. Defense had 38 sacks in 2020. And their only two losses, oh no, excuse me, they had two top 25 losses, both of them in overtime, though. Is that what uh, BYU's number is D? I feel like uh, going with a team that has all their offensive line back, uh, that could be interesting. I feel like one of these teams, I thought for a minute it was going to be Georgia, but then he said 10 starters back on defense. I was yeah, like, BYU lost to Coastal in regulation. So, uh, where where you where you leaning here on this one? I mean, I I defer to you here, Kev. I defer you to you. Defer to like the last three. I know, but let's go with the team that has all the offensive no, linemen. No, no, the first two we went with mine. Yeah, we did. Let's go with the team that's got all, all the right. offensive linemen back. And I think now, they had like three top rushers. Before back. I revealed, y'all want to do the playoffs real quick and like crown a national champion, the blind national champion, like the blind test national champion. Sure. Yeah. All right. So we have <laughs> we have. Okay, but to be fair, okay, but to be fair, because I've seen exercises like this in the past when you do it at the end of the year we are crowning a future national champion based on last season's these, stats these, listen these are the only things they could present to you right you can't you can't base off spring game stats all right so i guess our first semifinal is team we're gonna end up with like vanderbilt and is, wake is forest team 1b versus team 2b again team 1b to remind you lost 85 percent of their offensive production uh seven only seven of their 22 projected starters are upperclassmen. They're going to play six ranked teams, but they have won three bowl games in a row. Uh, and they're playing Team 2B, who has 17 returning starters, returning a QB who averaged 13 yards per completion. They gave up 137 yards per game on the ground, and they've lost their last five bowl games. BJ was saying they're due. Is this where they break that curse? Let's go Let's go with 2 I kind of think it's the first one. No. First one. What? <laughs> BJ and I can't agree on anything today. All right, well, we need a, we need a decision. Do you want the team with a bunch of starters back? That I mean, I thought you were Mr. Yards per completion. Bunch of starters like 13 back. 13 yards their, per completion. And their quarterback back. No, no, I want the team that, that lost everything. All right. Well, let's let like Cam be the deciding factor. 1B or 2B. All right, so Cam's with BJ. 1B is headed to the national championship. They will face the winner of – actually, you guys all picked the Bs. You picked the Bs for all four quadrants. That's probably uh, not good. <laughs> they're going to face the winner of, of 3B versus 4B. 3B, one loss in 2020, 19 returning starters, 218 rushing yards per game, and do not play a Power 5 out-of-conference opponent. Uh, I don't know if that changes at all. 
uh, in this bowl game here. Uh, but they're facing 4B, who returned their quarterback and four leading rushers, broke a four-game bowl losing streak last year, have their three most important conference games at home, and have five returning starters on the offensive line. It's that Kevin, that second team to me feels like Ole Miss. And again, I, I could be totally off base. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of lean the first team. See, I was going to go 4B on Kevin on, wants to on ride. Kevin wants to ride with those offensive right, linemen. Yeah, let's go 4B. Let's, let's do it. I'm going to take the executive right, so we're decision. We're going 4B. Yeah, we're going 4B. Okay, is it 1B? We probably it's, have Wake Forest against. So wait, uh, we're going, we're going go 4B. 1B versus 4B. Yeah. Again, it's one of these teams, Rice. Again, 85 percent of their offensive production gone. Only seven upperclassmen starting, playing six ranked teams, but they've won three straight bowl games versus a returning quarterback and four leading. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, we went three B or four B there. 4B. Yep. Returned the quarterback and four leading rushers, broke a four-game bowl losing streak, had their three most important conference games at home, and five returning starters on the offensive line. Who wins it? We've already gone this far. We might as well go with BJ's. They lost everybody and had the four-game bowl. All right. All right. Well, much like Thanos, this team is inevitable. Alabama wins the national championship. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to know who Alabama played in the national championship? Pitt. Played Pitt in the national championship. Uh, they beat Indiana in the college football playoff semifinals. Kevin, Pitt Kevin, you- took down Coastal Carolina on the other side of the bracket. No, Kevin, you're responsible for Pitt. You pick Pitt. You That's pick fine. Pitt. Quickly, do you guys want to run to and try to guess some of these? Sure. 13 game. Or, got, excuse me. Right, let's take a break. Do it all on the right, flip right, side. Right. We'll come back. Three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Christian has totally stumped on a bunch of them. What were our other choices? We said we want to try to guess some of these. Let's, let's yeah, do it. Let's go. From the top, 13 returning starters, longest win streak in 2020 was four, averaged 32.3 points per game, and gave up 321 yards per game. Is that Miami? It is not Miami. Lay it on us. It's the University of Georgia. Yep, Cam was on that one. Uh 1C lost their top two rushers to the NFL, returned 13 starters, will face a team that didn't play football in 2020, and the most common name on their team is Will. Is that Louisiana? It is not North Carolina or Louisiana. I feel like you did the power quad. Is that uh, Ohio State? It's Clemson. Clemson, yeah. Clemson. I was going to be my other guess. Yeah, they faced UConn this year who didn't play football in 2020. Uh, 18 returning starters, three top 25 wins in 2020, 537 yards per game on offense, and the 50th toughest schedule. Ohio State. No. Yeah. I know. I feel like you were putting – now that I know kind of you're thinking behind the quadrants, that's why I was – Ohio State? Nope. I said Ohio State. North Carolina. Wow. Yep. Uh, will host a or host schools from four different conferences, average 430 yards per game on offense, return their top three leading rushers, and lost their only two games against ranked teams. Notre Dame? Yeah, right. Area of the country. Indiana. No, we already said Indiana. Yeah. Indiana made the college football playoff. Michigan? Not Michigan. Yeah, I was going to say Notre Dame. Penn okay. State. Penn State. Penn State. I want to find a fun one. Oh, 20 returning starters have won three consecutive bowl game, averaged 422 yards per game on offense, uh, and had one ranked win. This is the one loss. This was the one loss. Appalachian Appalachian State? One loss. It's not App State. Louisiana? It was Louisiana. Yeah. There you go, Cam. Yeah. Well done, Cam. Yeah. I want to find another good one. We got 10 seconds. Do it quickly. Well, we'll do it then. We'll do it. We'll do it at some point. 
We'll do it live. We'll come back. It's uh, hour two, take three, right around the corner. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hour two, we'll talk to Sean Elliott, uh, Georgia State head football coach from Rich Styles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, will join us as well. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, at Pigskin Radio. Also live streaming on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at ESPN Coastal. On this Tuesday, we'll hear from Sean Elliott, Georgia State head football coach, coming up here in just a little bit. Also, Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, will join us. Final week at the playoffs, $15 million going to somebody at the end of this weekend. So a lot to get to here on the show in our number two. But first, BJ, let's take three here on Three and Out. All right, you can pick one. We'll say that again. This is just for you. This is just for you. You can pick one college quarterback to lead your team this season. Who is it? And I know if I do ultimately pick one, but I talk about four or five to get to one, you guys will be mad about that. So I'll just jump right to it. I think I think I go Spencer Rattler. Uh, I think he's a he's a guy that can do it all. You know, great touch on his downfield throws. Oklahoma runs a lot of intermediate routes. He's been very successful throwing over the middle, uh, throwing to the sidelines. Has good mobility. Uh, has has you know been in games where he's had to be the totality of the offense at times. And you're going to throw it 50 times. You're going to have to throw for 500 yards. Uh, I think it's close. There are some other quarterbacks who I won't mention. I'm going to keep it at one here, Kev. But uh, I think I think Spencer Rattler is a guy that has lived up to the hype, man. I mean, expectations were high coming out of high school. You have to follow Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. That's going to be who you're measured up against. And you've kind of seamlessly transitioned and dealt with those expectations and been effective, efficient. So I'll go Spencer Rattler out of Oklahoma. No, I really, it's all about just making your pick. Then you can talk about the other guys that were close. I just want you to make your pick first. Then you can explain it away all you want to. At that point. But no, if it's not Spencer Rattler, I mean, who would it be that you really feel good about and saying, like, this is the guy? I mean, I guess Bryce Young, but I mean, Bryce Young is at Alabama. He's going to be good. But if you're saying put Bryce Young on another team, there might be some stumbling blocks, uh, you know, here or there uh, at some point. But I think Spencer Rattler probably is is your guy right now. Well, so, so you want me to say who I would pick if it wasn't Spencer no, Rattler? No, I'm saying who would, who would be like your, your, your B and C choices here? Yeah, I think I think DJ Uyunglele would would undoubtedly be up there, and, and people may say, "Come on, he's he started two games, yeah, but he looked really, really good." And I understand they lost that Notre Dame game, but what he did was historic. Broke a number of records in that game. Uh, he's six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds, and we've heard from a lot of analysts that don't be surprised if Clemson runs the football a lot with him where you have the read option or you have designed direct runs. I mean, what do you do if it's third and one or what do you do if you're near the goal line and a 6'5", 250-pound quarterback who, oh, by the way, can make all the throws, lines up and decides to run it right at you, there's nothing you can do. And, you know, we heard the audio from Kirby Smart earlier where he said he thinks DJ Uyangalale might have the strongest arm he's ever seen. So you can make all the throws. You've already done it on the biggest of stages, the brightest of lights, a record-setting performance at Notre Dame in a matchup of top five teams. And then you're talking about the ability to uh, run in addition to make all those throws. I think Uyangalale and look, uh, uh, Sam Howell, Malik Willis, 
uh, Grayson McCall, Matt Corral. I think there are uh, JT Daniels. I'm sure there are some people who would who would take JT Daniels at this point. Uh, but but I think I would go with Spencer Rattler. You? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm right there with you. I, I think if it wasn't him, DJU would be my guy just because he's kind of the the freak package, as you said. He's big, he's tall, he can throw, he can run. I mean, he just creates a lot of mismatches for, for folks out there uh, as well. Moving along, take two, Cam Newton. Released by the Patriots today, BJ. So he's out on the uh, the open market. If he, by the way, don't feel too bad for Cam. I, if I read the story correctly, he still gets three and a half million to not play football for the New England Patriots. So don't feel too bad. But if he doesn't get another starting uh, starting job, how will you remember Cam Newton's career? Because uh, speculation is he doesn't want to go be a backup somewhere. He wants to start. Well, I think he still is the starting quarterback uh, in the league. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I think he's a Hall of Famer. I do. And I know there seems to be kind of a kind of split opinions on that. But when I think about Cam Newton, and of course, we're not talking about uh, what he did in college, obviously a college football Hall of Famer with the Heisman, the national championship, but the number one overall pick and came out and, and, and lived up to the hype. I mean, NFL MVP in 2015, uh, you're talking about something that only a handful of guys have done i mean mvp is kind of the it's kind of the singular award you know the heisman for for the nfl and won an mvp in an era when a number of hall of famers were still up there including tom brady playing uh you're talking about a guy that at this point if he never plays again has over thirty-one thousand passing yards has 190 passing touchdowns and has 5400 rushing yards with 70 rushing touchdowns so you look at Cam Newton, he has 260 career touchdowns. That is unheard of. And his 70 rushing touchdowns are the most by a quarterback ever in the history of the league. And I think he was, you know, you think about the big, fast, you know, sick DJ Uyangalale, the guys that can throw it and run it. Cam was Cam was a pioneer in some respects and, you know, changed some of the schemes that we've seen at this level. And, you know, Ben and I have, have had this conversation because it's kind of hard, right? to determine what makes somebody uh, a Hall of Famer. Is it this num- this many Pro Bowls? Is it this many All-Pros? Is it a statistical threshold? Is it uh, you have to win a Super Bowl? I've, I've kind of come along, come along the lines of, can you tell the story of the quarterback position or the position you're talking about with this player? Can you tell the story without him? And if the answer is no, I think they, they got to be in the Hall of Fame. And when I think about Cam Newton, if you're telling the story of the quarterback position, if you're talking about quarterback play over the last 15 years, Cam Newton's one of the first names you mentioned. He's one of the first guys you talk about. Got the Carolina Panthers to a to a Super Bowl. Was in the playoffs a number of times. Again, has the MVP. So, you know, helped change the game. Uh, one, of the, one of the great quarterbacks I've ever seen. And I still think he has more football in him. But I think when you talk about Cam Newton, you're talking about a Hall of Famer. I mean, a Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, doesn't have the Super Bowl. I think it's also interesting, again, BJ, how you kind of frame the the gig there with Cam Newton. Made it to a Super Bowl, but Carolina wasn't always a winning club. And again, you could say, well, he didn't have the weapons. I, I get all that. But by and large, when you think about a lot of his time in Cam Newton, it was extremely talented quarterback, not a talented roster, necessarily, right, when he was there. So how do you think that plays in if you talk about the legacy of Cam Newton when you think back, like, yeah, he put up numbers, team didn't have a lot of wins, necessarily, uh, over the duration. 
Well, I mean, for a couple of years, he was the main reason why Carolina was a contender, was a contender. So, you know, I, I think you look at everything, but to me, the totality of his game, uh, the, the multifaceted production, uh, the fact that a lot of schemes and a lot of quarterbacks play, you know, like Cam and a lot of schemes have been changed to kind of the way Cam played and, and you know, his mobility and, uh, you know, the ability to run third downs and, you know, in the goal. 70 rushing touchdowns, come on. To, 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 to be that productive of a, of, a, of a rushing threat in the red zone, to have the MVP, to have gone to the Super Bowl. Uh, and, of course, if he comes out and plays, I don't know where he could go, but if he goes to, you know, Washington or whatever and goes out and plays and maybe he scores 15, 20, 25 more touchdowns, it only adds to it. But I think Cam Newton's a Hall of Famer. All right, finally, take three. Uh, BJ, Christian apparently has been invited to two fall weddings during football season and on Saturdays during football season. I know sometimes people do the Friday thing, but both on Saturdays, he wants us to help him come up with an excuse. I don't think it's an excuse. I think it's a valid reason why you don't want to go, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what the question is. You say, dude, it's a it's a, it's a a Saturday in, in college football season. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's not like that's never been uh, a response before when you have, hey, it's a wedding. I'd love to come. I wish everybody the best. I'll, I'll go to the department store and buy you like a 12-pack uh, a of, uh, you know, dinner plates or whatever you do. I You know, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm excited for you. But listen, it's a Saturday in the fall, and you can even play. I mean, Kevin, could you play this card? Unfortunately, I work in sports media and it's my job. I have my own show where we talk college football. I don't yes. want to do this. Trust me, it's brutal. It's brutal to have to work Monday through Friday, then Saturday watch all the games and take all that. But it's my job. And if I don't do my due diligence and put my research in on Saturday, I mean, in this in this business, you either know or you don't know. And if you don't know, you're done. So listen, I got to be ready. I got to study. I have to watch uh, uh, all the games, not just Georgia, but I have to watch all the games. And I can't come. Now, what time are these uh, these weddings? Are we talking eight o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning? A real, you know, let's do it. Have a nice ceremony. Send you along your merry way, and then we're out. You know, it seems like some people get into the all afternoon weddings. You know, BJ, where it's like, hey, we're going to start the pre-wedding ceremonies at two. Then the wedding starts at three. Then we're going to have a super long, you know, ceremony where we're going to have like a band that's going to play like. Five five songs that are important to the both of us, and then we're gonna have the the, the post reception. We're gonna have to sit down dinner. Then we're gonna dance all night long and just get crazy. No, not in the fall. We're not. Get it over. Let's let's get out. Let's get back to football. But I agree. I, if they were if they were a true friend, and it was important, they wouldn't ask you to be there on a fall Saturday. Just say. What month did you get married in, Kevin? I got married. This is a true story. I got married in August, and I told my wife when we got engaged, I said, listen, you want to get married? It needs to happen before September, or it ain't going to happen till January. Got married in August. Who says you can't plan a wedding in six months? Do it. Hey, I got Seven married months, in July. Eight months, rather. Listen, listen, July, and it, and, and it was hot, but it is what it is. You do what you got to do. And because if your wife lovingly looked at you and said, BJ, I would like to have the wedding 
on September 10th at 3.30. You, your response probably would have been like, do you want me to be there? There would have been a lot of people in my family who would have said, no, wait a minute, hold on, of all the days, of all the weekends, hold on now. Gotta check your schedule, make sure it doesn't conflict. No, no excuse needed. It's just a valid reason why you're not going to be there. We'll come back. Sean Elliott, I think he would agree with us. Head coach at Georgia State, they're opening up against Army coming up this weekend. He'll join us next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Back here on this Tuesday, college football getting a big kickoff this week. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, we got college football all day, uh, or really all week, every day, uh, coming up the rest of the way here. And uh, Georgia State going to kick off at home against Army coming up on Saturday. Their head uh, football coach, Sean Elliott, joins us here on 3 and Out. Coach, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I know 2021, you got some of the same things going on, but does it kind of getting back to feeling like football uh, outside of uh, what happened in 2020. Yeah, I mean, as long as you keep what's important, important. Uh, the game of football, we're still doing the things necessary to you know, build our football team up and get ready for this season. It's as uh, normal as we can have it right now. And, Coach, you guys have a lot of momentum around your program, a big-time schedule coming up. How has fall camp gone for you, and uh, what's the mindset entering game one? Yeah, you know, fall camp's about what it is every year. You know, you, you're excited to jump out there and get started early on, then you kind of hit a lull in that wall when you're practicing so many times versus one another. You just, uh, it just becomes monotonous. And then here we are in game week, and that, that intensity and that excitement, the, the enthusiasm surrounds your team once again, and the build-up of that first ball game is uh, special. So we're looking forward to this opportunity to go out, you know, this Saturday at 12 o'clock and, play a great Army opponent. Opportunity to go through fall camp. How do you feel about your team? Let's start offensively where you got, what, everybody back uh, starting from a, a season to go. Have to feel pretty good about where you're at there. No, I, I think so. I think every football coach uh, is certainly tr- striving to, to gain experience on a football team. And we have a wealth of experience both offensively and defensively and along with our special teams. So, it's uh, it's a good feeling to have, but in the same sense, you've got to go out there and and this team has got to gel and it's got to become uh, a team of their own, so to speak. But uh, we do have a lot of experience on our offensive side of the ball. We do have all our returning starters coming back, and we've got some new guys that are breaking in as well. Exciting to watch and, and real similar to us defensively. I think we lost three guys defensively. Uh, that experience is back, and it's just. That just really helps, uh, you know, a fall camp or a spring practice really run smoothly when you have so many uh, upperclassmen and, and experienced players coming back. It, it, it's a feel-good uh, for any football coach. Coach, what are your expectations for uh, your quarterback, Quad Brown, this season? I think every football coach has expectations for them, uh, all their players, to be pretty good. And it's no exception with Quad, I think. You know, he, he is a talented, talented player. He has a big arm. Uh, he has the ability to run the football as well. I think his intelligence level, the education in the game of football has really come a long way uh, from the time he started his first game against Louisiana Lafayette a year ago to where we are now. So, uh, you know, I think uh, Quad will excel on the playing field this year. 
Sean Elliott joining us here on Three and Out and preparing for uh, for Army Week One. Uh, seems like you have two completely different opponents first two weeks of the season, uh, an option team and a spread team uh, that's going to fling it all over first two weeks. But how do you prepare uh, for Army in, in a kind of offense that you may not see the entirety of the rest of the season? You know, a lot of people say that uh, having those guys the first week of your season is a benefit, and I think it is to a certain degree. We have a little bit more preparation time. We were able to do some things in the spring to help us out as well. Uh, and then over the course of summer, but you know, uh, the, the majority of our schedule is spread offenses type uh, type football teams. So that is ultimately what we're going to have to be very, very uh, the, the best at defending. So we have managed our time well. You know, uh, going against ourselves in, in camp every single day against our offense has helped us as well. But uh, we've got a balance of preparation for Army and a balance for the preparation for the rest of our schedule as well. It's uh, it, sometimes it's, it can be a difficult task if you got to do that in four days or five days. Uh, but we've had a fall camp to get ready for uh, both uh, styles of play. Coach, take us back a couple of years, uh, 2019. You guys, you guys play Army in Atlanta, get the victory. I believe the weather was 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 rough. You get the touchdown win. Uh, what do you remember about about that game and that matchup with Army a couple of years ago? I just remember uh, two talented football teams. You know, we were we were going at it neck and neck. There was um, a couple turnovers in that game. I think they had a uh, we we got a strip fumble for them, and then they threw an interception late in the game. They're driving, uh, and we secured the victory. We also had a couple blunders there where we turned the football over as well, one inside the five. But what I really remember the most about it was. Uh, just a great effort on both teams' parts. I mean, they, everybody played their heart out. It was a, a break here or there that really made the difference, or a mistake here and there that really made the difference in that ball game. And I expect this ball game to be the exact same way. Uh, I think uh, Army is a well-coached football team. Of course, they they've had really successful seasons here in the last three and four years. Uh, so we all know what type of football team is going to come down. They've got a great discipline. The tradition is unbelievable. Uh, and we're excited to play a great quality opponent. Sean Elliott, Georgia State head football coach, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Coach, speak to where you feel the development of this program uh, is from when you took over. Obviously, you're trying to accentuate the brand, get your uh, your, your profile up as a, a football program. Uh, obviously, had a big win at Tennessee a couple of years ago. Where do you feel you guys are at in developing Georgia State as a program right now? Yeah, I think we're in good shape. I mean, uh, we really have. You know, this is going into our fifth season here at Georgia State University. I think the program is right on track where we thought it would be. You know, this was not going to be an overnight uh, fix, and we've done it the right way. A good job in recruiting and, and coaching these individuals. And, and not only do we have a, a talented football team, we got a lot of great young men that work their tails off, that value the importance of education. And we, I feel like we've really built it the right way. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of that aspect. Uh, you know, we, we've had a couple of really good seasons. We've, you know, we've been to bowl games three out of the last four years. We had our last bowl win against Western Kentucky this past season during the COVID year. And uh, I think our program is now ready to go compete and play for a conference championship. You know, we played, we played some teams right up until the bitter end uh, a year ago, and. I think three of our losses right there we were six and four, and three of our losses were by 13 points total uh, in those three losses. So, uh, you know, I think we're close. I, I talk to these guys now about winning a Sun Belt championship and really pushing the envelope to be in the top team in this conference, and I think we have the vision 
and, and the skill set to go out and, and try to achieve that this year. And you mentioned the conference overall. I mean, some incredibly high-profile wins uh, from your program, from other teams in the league. You've seen programs in the national top 25. Talk about the growth of the Sun Belt and just how competitive this league is week in and week out. Well, the growth of the Sun Belt really started with uh, just – you know, add only, adding some quality opponents in the league. I think when Appalachian State and Georgia Southern came in back, uh, I don't even really know exactly what that day. It really kind of set this conference apart, to tell you the truth. It really took a step in the right direction. Uh, you got a lot of good quality football coaches coming into this league. And when you have quality coaches, uh, when I say quality, I mean really good football coaches. You, you recruit well, your teams build a brand, and the competition is uh, – it doesn't fall off very far. So I think it started with the coaches. And uh, like I said, good recruiting. You know, we're right here in the heart of the southeast, so uh, we're all able to go out and get some pretty, pretty uh, athletic, talented football players with a mindset of uh, how to play this game of football. And we've really grown this conference to really go out and take on really anybody across the country. As you can see from our win at Tennessee, and you look at Troy's win at LSU a few years ago, Coastal Carolina, they're – they go and, you know, beat Kansas. I think Iowa State was taken down a year ago by Louisiana Lafayette. So we've got some signature wins, but it's, uh, it's because of this coaching and, and the players in this league. Sean Elliott, our guest here on 3 and Out. Coach, really appreciate the time. Best of luck this weekend as you get the season started. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure to talk about our football program at Georgia State University and uh, just appreciate the opportunity to come on here and, and speak with you guys today. Y'all y'all be safe, and uh, we look forward to talking to you down the road. Will do. Thanks so much, Coach. Sean Elliott uh, joining us here on 3 and Out. And as he said, talking about going out and playing on uh, the competition, Army, I've been a solid team under Jeff Munkin. They got North Carolina in week number two. And then also Auburn in the first month. So they will go out and challenge themselves, not to mention uh, the, the conference slate there. As you mentioned, the tough losses actually lost to Louisiana in overtime uh, last year. B.J. Arkansas State lost by a touchdown. App State lost by four points. So uh, they were right there in a couple of games uh, that they lost. That They swing them the other way. You're talking about a special season. And uh, Quad Brown, their quarterback, redshirt freshman, as everybody gets that extra year, uh, set himself up. Uh, with a solid season, B.J., he could be pushing, I know in the young history, but could be pushing the top three in all-time passers at uh, at Georgia State in just two seasons. So uh, that is out there uh, for him to chase this season as well. Yeah, just another really good team in the Sun Belt. And you heard Coach talk about last season, uh, won three straight to finish the year. You won at South Alabama, had the close win over Georgia Southern, obviously, and then in the Lending Tree Bowl, uh, beat Western Kentucky. And not only did they, did they have uh, – uh, Louisiana just just right there uh, with the chance to win late lost to Appalachian State by only four points like you said lost to Arkansas State by one score so this is a team that has won some big games has played with the best teams in the league and brings just about everybody back when you look at their roster in terms of their experience and yeah uh, a number of high profile games I mean if you're if you're North Carolina uh, if you're if you're Auburn you better be ready for Georgia State. And you don't need to even put on the Tennessee tape. I mean, look at the tape from last year. And then uh, you think about uh, Quad Brown, his ability, his playmaking ability. Uh, Coach said he's really continuing to come along. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the Sun Belt. And it's just another team that that can beat you in this league. And I was at that Georgia, Georgia State excuse me, Army game 
a couple of years ago, and it was a really fun contest. Uh, Coach is right. It was back and forth, a lot of intensity, a lot of passion, uh, competitive all the way throughout. Really bad weather. It was really cold. It was raining. But it was one of the most competitive games I've seen. So excited for their game coming up this Saturday, and I think they're going to have a big season. We've got more to get to here on 3 and Out. Rich Tiles will join us uh, coming up in just a minute. Also, just weird stuff happening around high school football uh, the last couple of days. We'll get to that and more. It's 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here. Three and out on this Tuesday, Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett. Glad you're making us a part of your day. The PGA Championship this week, FedEx Cup playoffs come to an end. And joining us here, as he does each and every uh, Tuesday, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, Rich Styles joins us. Rich, welcome. How are you? Doing wonderful, guys. Hope you are. Uh, again, walk us through it now. It's down. And then there was one tournament left uh, to win the $15 million. What are we looking at this week in Atlanta as far as who you think's really in a good spot? Obviously, if you're coming in leading the thing, but who's in a good spot to really uh, bring home the $15 million here? Well, I think everybody that's going to the Tour Championship is going with deposit slips because the first person that wins gets $15 million. The last person gets almost 400000 So it's a pretty good tournament to qualify for in the top 30. But I think you've got to see... Patrick Cantley, I mean, he played brilliantly at the BMW in order to beat Bryson. I think Bryson's uh, a contender. I think Patrick is. I think John Rahm is. And I also wouldn't rule out Tony Finau or Justin Thomas. I mean, they've all got chances. Uh, Patrick uh, Cantley is going to start at 10 under. Um, Finau is going to start at 8. Uh, Rahm's going to start at 7. So, I mean, it goes down from there. And then the last five guys are starting out at even par. But I think the guys that have been hot for the last couple of weeks, they've got to be the guys that are going to remain hot at the Tour Championship. Rich, how big of an advantage are those uh, those those strokes that you're under par with when you start? And uh, do you like that? Do you think that's 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 you know competitive moving forward the way it is? Well, I think when it first came out, uh, BJ, I was not in favor of it. I thought it was odd. I thought it was unfair. But I think the PGA Tour is much smarter than I, and I think they looked at all the angles and said, hey, if you earn the FedEx Cup number one position after the last tournament, the BMW, you're going to start out at 10 under par, and it's going to go down from there until when you go down to the guys at even. Um, They played, they're making the Tour Championship, so that's a big plus on their resume. Uh, But it just, that's the way it is. I don't think it's going to change. Um, they've increased the money, um, which I think is another great thing that they've done. Um, it basically, whoever wins in the top five is going to be set up for life. Um, and now I'm kind of comfortable with it because they've earned it playing throughout the year. And again, the kind of the weighted format there as well. But Rich, I want to ask you something about, uh, you know, we kind of bring it up a lot because it's seemingly the hot topic around the tour is, you know, Bryson and his rabbit ears out there. Apparently the PGA Tour uh, has a policy now. If you say Brooksy or chant Brooksy uh, after a shot, and I guess Bryson hears it or whatever, but you're going to get ejected from ejected from the event. I mean, is that where we're at now with this thing? Well, it's. I think that's unfortunate, but I think the fans at times, uh, due to adult beverages, um, sometimes go overboard. Uh, I mean, I just can't imagine going overboard after many adult beverages, but 
but I just think that they're they're just trying to calm it down and trying to make it more more um, nicer. I guess is a, is a, is the best way to put it. But you know, some of the fans have been really really cruel. Uh, the stuff they did with Patrick Reed, the stuff they've done with uh, Bryson, uh, the stuff they do with Brooks. I mean, you know, they can be really cruel based on the consumption of the, of those adult beverages. And I just think they're going to probably calm that down and also calm the fans down because once one person does it, another person does it, and then you're in a mess. Rich, uh, where are we with the uh, Ryder Cup team and uh, what's the squad look like? Is What's the timetable for uh, the final couple of selections? Well, Steve Stricker's got half his team already uh, picked as they qualified. Dustin Johnson, Bryson, Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, Patrick Cantley, and Tony Finau. So those are your six. And then he has to pick six more by September 8th. So he's going to be looking at the Tour Championship. Uh, this is only my opinion. I think he's also going to add in three of his picks, Xander Shoffley, Jordan Spieth, Harris English, who's a two-time winner this year on the PGA Tour. And then he's got a choice. He's got a choice between Webb Simpson, Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Reed, Sam Burns, um, I think I'd pick Webb Simpson because he's more mature. He drives the ball straight. He hits the ball straight. He's a good factor in the clubhouse. And then it's a choice between Scotty, Patrick, and Sam Burns. And, uh, you know, it's kind of up in the air, mostly if Patrick Reed is going to be healthy enough in order to play. Rich, finally, who you got coming up uh, this weekend on the show? I have got a guy who actually, his name is Jeff King. He caddied in the Olympics for an Asian player. He had to go over there, got a call at the last minute to go over there, and he also makes jerky. So (laughs) we're going to be talking jerky, and we're going to be talking Olympic golf on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show this Saturday. A a perfect combo if there ever was one. Rich Stiles, our guest here on the Three and Out. Rich, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Okay, Kevin Lee. <laughs> Rich Styles, Joey. Rich, I will have you tossed off the show for that. Uh, if, I'm if... going to get kicked off. I'm <laughs> we'll come back. We've got more to come here in Three and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Yeah, Jags and Falcons had to cut guys today to get down to the 53-man roster uh, situation. We'll get to that coming up in just a little bit as those rolling in as they had up until 4 o'clock to get some of those done. So we'll tell you the very latest from there. But uh, one thing that is important to note, BJ, former Georgia Southern Eagle Raymond Johnson, who we've had on this show, makes the cut with the New York Giants. So congratulations to that young man, part of the New York Giants, making the 53-man squad there officially today. Great player. Had a fantastic career uh, at, at, at Georgia Southern. I was really surprised he did not get drafted. I mean, stunned, quite frankly. And I understand, you know, Ben talks about it. There are only so many slots in the in, you know, in the draft process. But a, just a real playmaker off the edge. Really enjoyed chatting with him a couple of months ago in the pre-draft process. And, yeah, congratulations. Another eagle in the, in, in the NFL. Absolutely. And, again, 
Uh, we talked a little bit about it yesterday, but just wild stuff with, with high school football uh, right now. Did you see the Trent Dilfer video that kind of went viral? And I think Trent came out and apologized for his action where he came across and, uh, you know, at least in the video I saw, I'm like, look, I, I get it. You don't want coaches touching players, but I don't think any player who's achieved uh, some level of success at some point has had a coach kind of yell at him about something, right? That's just kind of the nature of football and sports in general. It's like, hey, the best player or a guy that's a, a good player, solid player, is probably going to have the coach's ire when they, when they do something wrong or out of character uh, there. So I think Trent said, look, overall, you know, could have handled myself a little bit better and apologized for that. But uh, I think that was one that certainly went viral because of, obviously, it being Trent Dilfer. Yeah, and issued an apology. I think that was the right thing to do. Uh, said said in the statement, you know, I, I, I could have de-escalated the situation. or And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, read the apology. But, you know, I could have handled it different. And I think that's the right thing to do. I think what we saw was was, was over the top, not the reaction you want. Uh, but he, you know, clar- clarified himself in, in the statement, I believe, saying that, hey, it was not uh, the – the student athlete it's on me you know to take responsibility for this and and uh, do a better job and uh, I think I think that's the right thing uh, the right thing that he did there to to say I didn't handle it the right way and uh, I think I think that's fair when you look back at what was over the top in my opinion and again uh, Trent coaching high school football uh, now he and uh, who else is doing Philip Rivers doing it uh, now I believe uh, coaching high school football uh, there as well, but uh, just the the story that we talked about yesterday, BJ with Bishop Sycamore who played on ESPN against IMG is just, I mean it just keeps getting weirder and weirder the more this stuff comes out, right? Uh, online only school, charter school, fake addresses. You apparently are using illegal players, guys who have like already graduated high school. Didn't didn't like uh, you see the announcers? And again, I appreciate some of this high school football. Sometimes you don't get a good roster, but you were given guys are posting like, Hey, here's the roster we're given. It's like a list of names and positions, no numbers. You go to get the numbers pregame. They're like, Hey, what's your name? And he's plays number six. Like, and where are you playing? Like you're the coach of the team and you don't know where this guy plays. So uh, a lot of just crazy stuff. And apparently this team did play on Thursday. There's tape of this and played again on Saturday on ESPN. That to me, out of all of it, BJ. Okay, so you lied. That's that's bad. ESPN didn't fact check. That's also bad. That 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 you allowed a team kind of with no credentials to get on a high school showcase game. That's bad. But the fact that adults, and I use that word loosely in this case, BJ, allowed high school age kids to play on Thursday night and then play again on Saturday. To me, that's the most egregious thing of the entire thing. And there's a lot to be upset about uh, with that situation. Yeah, that's unsafe, you know, in terms of, you know, the potential for injuries and, you know, guys just playing that much football in, in, in a couple of days span. I, I'm, I'm with you. And we talked about this in the show meeting. I, I, I still struggle to understand kind of the, kind of the why, because it's like, okay, you're going to create this, this program or whatever, and then you're going to go try to play on ESPN, and and, and and of course we all understand the value there, right? You're you're a high school program, and you're getting your student athletes on a national stage. But I don't I don't think the value is there when you're going to go out and you're going to get you know beaten really badly, and 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 it's going to be a reflection of um, kind of the the inaccuracies that are now coming to light, right? Like oh, we have guys that are getting recruited, we have numbers. We have depth. Here's the roster. 
you're, look, you're never going to have a high school football game really where it's, you know, where, where the talent is 100% the same on, on either side. But when you're talking about a disingenuous, you know, set of descriptions for your, your, your school, your program, your team, and you use that as kind of the point to the cat, the, the way, the conduit to get into this game. Well, all of that is going to be revealed at some point. I mean, it's not like you can carry the lie to the yeah. field. I mean, as soon as you kick the ball off, everybody's going to see, Hey, this is not what you said it was. This is not uh, what we thought we were getting into. And you're, 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 you're putting your players in a tough situation, a bad situation. It's just really strange. And, I, I still struggle to understand why you would want to go out there and and compete on again a a fraudulent foundation and go out there and be in a situation where you're going to get beaten really badly. It's not going to be competitive yeah. and it's not going to be a good look. I don't get it. Yeah, it's and it was really bad. Again, it's a program that I think has only won five games ever. Didn't win a single game last year. I mean, the more you find out about it, the more you're like, how did this? How was this even allowed to happen? Right, you only have thirty players, and again, I'm not talking down about me. There's programs that come from smaller areas that maybe only have thirty players. I've covered teams that only have thirty players, but those thirty players teams aren't trying to get on national TV to play a national powerhouse. I mean, again, you talk about uh, IMG, you talk about Modern Day, you talk about these are schools that are dressing eighty, ninety, a hundred kids, like without question. That's what they're doing, and you have 30. You haven't won a game in two years. You've won five games ever in the history of your program. You lied about the kind of quality of players you had in the first place. I mean, it's just completely amazing that it made it as far as it did. And people go, well, surely ESPN had to know. Well, at some point they probably did, and also at some point they probably sat back and said, well, we we also sold – advertising and sponsors on the fact that we were going to do this game <laughs> and I guess we're going to do it so I, I I look at it and I was like this it's just bad all the way around that this was allowed to take place and to play a couple of games in a couple of days span like that is not good and I mean I guess my question Kevin is was the expectation that we're going to perform better I guess than 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 most people now that we know about the story kind of would have projected I mean was the and we're going to go out there and have some positive moments because it's just really weird all the way around. And uh, I was reading some of the stories. Obviously, if you get on social media now, it's just all over the place. And uh, it's 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 really weird, man. It's just a really weird story. Well, I mean, apparently, like uh, this is not 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 this game, but apparently, the, like the this is not an uncommon thing necessarily where you see these schools pop up and they're playing football and people are like, I've never heard of this school. Where did it come from? And so we'll see if that brings more light to that situation when when you go into the future of uh, of these uh, schedules and say where like where is this school? Does it actually exist? One like can you go to a physical building and see that there's a school and learning is taking place and they play football Friday night? Like I think that's uh, the, the level of vetting you're probably going to have to uh, to get to. We got so much more to come, uh, BJ. Here in the final hour, we got. Falcons and Jags news. We'll talk with Gurov Vidak of Talking Chop. The Braves finally lost a game on the road. But, I mean, again, it's the Dodgers. Drew Smiley was not good. Kind of expect some of that uh, there. And we'll look at some of the big games this weekend because we've talked a lot about Georgia Clemson. You've also got Miami, Alabama this week. Florida State, Notre Dame this week. 
Uh, Louisiana, Texas is one that's kind of off the main radar because of what you got going, but that's a top 25 matchup uh, in college football. We'll kind of give you some thoughts on how some upsets might get pulled uh, this weekend there as well. So all that coming up in the final hour of the program. Again, Braves playing late tonight on on the West Coast. So uh, BJ, plenty to come there in the final hour, but you know, cut day in the NFL, never a fun day uh, around the league for guys who are losing their jobs, but you also have that finality of the season is right around the corner and it's time to uh, to get ready and uh, and get after it. Yeah, you do hate that for 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 guys. You know, you see the news and it kind of blends into kind of the uh, news of the day, but you hate that for for athletes getting covered. You mentioned college football. You know, tomorrow it's uh it's a UAB and Jacksonville State. Thursday you have a number of games. Friday you have a number of games. Saturday is Saturday. Sunday you have Florida State and Notre Dame. And Monday, you have Louisville and Ole Miss. So uh, it was great to see college football over the weekend, but a full schedule coming up. Uh, games from Wednesday all the way to Monday here uh, as we look ahead. And speaking of Florida State, Notre Dame, former Islands High Shark, Kalen Deloach, named starting linebacker, or Jalen Deloach, excuse me, uh, is named starting linebacker there for Florida State uh, coming up against uh, Notre Dame. Good to have you back here. Final hour of the show. Gorav Vidak, uh, Talking Chop, will join us coming up in about 20 minutes. Also look at some of the uh, potential underdog wins here in the first week of college football. But, BJ, today, 4 o'clock was cut time around the National Football League, and teams had to make their choices. Falcons, we'll see where they got down to 53. Some interesting decisions there. Jaguars, pretty much if you were had a lot to get rid of, a receiver, you were out. Laquan Treadwell gone Philip Dorsett gone they did keep Taven Bryan on the roster where there's some questions about that uh BJ and I know one that got you is they traded Sidney Jones which a lot of people thought might have been a guy that was going to start on that defensive side of the football yeah it's been a busy couple of days for for the Jacksonville Jaguars and kind of lost in the Tebow stuff you know a, a week or two ago was that the Jaguars traded Joe Schobert uh their middle linebacker who during his career, has been a pro bowler, has been one of the leading tacklers in the league. They traded him to Pittsburgh. And then uh, as of yesterday, Sidney Jones, they traded uh, him to the Seahawks. And both Schobert and Jones were projected to be be starters. So maybe you're trying to give younger players opportunities uh, defensively. I know, of course, Miles Jack is a superstar at linebacker for the Jaguars. But who's going to be that that second middle linebacker rotationally? What's the depth chart look like? And then at corner, Kevin, I would guess you wouldn't trade Sidney Jones unless you felt really good about C.J. Henderson. And we didn't get to see a whole lot of C.J. Henderson last year, the former top 10 pick out of Florida for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I know at some points uh, there were some kind of iffy reviews uh, during during the offseason in terms of, well, is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be a backup? Well, it looks like he's, he's, he's pushed his way back into the starting lineup, which is great to see really rooting for uh, for uh, CJ. And then, you know, Caleb Von Chasen, another young player. I think you're building your defense. Taven Bryan's still going to be there. Josh Allen around younger players. And I think that's what Jacksonville's doing. But at the wide receiver position, yeah, there were some interesting decisions. Um, I think you feel great about Marvin Jones, DJ Shark, and LaVisca Chenault. That's a really, really good one through three for Trevor Lawrence to be able to hook up with on the perimeter uh, Tavon Austin made the team, made the Jaguars, was dealing with a little bit of an injury. But, uh, of course, he's been with Dallas and some other spots. He's going to be 
a rotational receiver for the Jaguars. But it seems like when you look at what Jacksonville is doing, they are very much valuing, for the most part, youth and guys they can kind of grow with, players that are 24, 25 in their second or third years. And uh, I was a little surprised at the Schobert trade. I was a little surprised at the Jones trade. But I think it goes to show that Jacksonville feels like they have really good options at those positions. And BJ, kind of interesting. They they made a lot of cuts today, and Urban Meyer was quoted saying, "Yeah, I think we're going to go out and get another wide receiver." So you cut a bunch, but again, this is the interesting part because teams are finalizing their roster. Guys are getting cut left and right, and you can find guys who are camp casualties at the end of the preseason that might make your roster uh, just because they're now available here just a few days before the season starts. That's right. And keep in mind, you're not necessarily, I know we're so fascinated with the first teamers on a depth chart, right? You're not always thinking about the first team unit. I think when you see some cuts made, you look and go, wow, this could, could this guy be a valuable reserve offensive lineman? Could this player be a valuable situational edge rusher? Could we get a fourth corner that we could play out there? In Jacksonville's case, could we get a fifth or sixth wide receiver? I'm sure Jacksonville's looking at the tight ends uh, as well, saying, look, is there a rotational tight end potentially? But there are always cuts that surprise. I think Cam Newton being cut by New England was a real surprise. Mac Jones clearly going to be the guy there. But, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely setting your roster and looking at other options for your roster at the same time. So just because you're at 53 now doesn't mean it's going to be the same 53 in 10 days. You could have a move or two, and I think if you have cuts that uh, – are, are surprising, like Newton, teams are going to look around and really try to add a player or two late, even if it's only for depth purposes. Yeah, we will uh, we will get to that Cam Newton uh, situation just a little bit. The uh, Falcons, uh, with their final cuts, B.J. kept three quarterbacks. So you have Matt Ryan, Felipe Franks makes it, and Josh Rosen. Uh, although, you know, Josh Rosen's only been with the team just a, a little bit. He makes it uh, there. So the Falcons, at least for right now, going with three quarterbacks. And I think that makes sense. Look, you want some experience behind Matt Ryan. You want somebody that's at least been around the game for a couple of years. And I know Josh Rosen hasn't played a ton, but he does have experience, and he was a highly drafted player, drafted in the first round out of UCLA a couple of years ago, probably still has some upside. Atlanta feels like they can work with. And, you know, for a for a modest salary to have him as a backup, I think you feel pretty good about that. And then I like Felipe Franks, and I think the Falcons do as well. Uh, did a really good job. We've talked about this. I think his career, his production, his success, underappreciated at Florida, underappreciated at Arkansas. I think Felipe Franks is a pro, is a, is, is a pro quarterback. And, you know, there's a young quarterback, Josh Rosen, not much older, but there's a young quarterback you can groom, grow with, develop. But when, when A.J. McCarron, unfortunately, went down with the season-ending injury, I mean, it was only a matter of time, right, Kevin? I mean, I, I think you were going to go out and get a veteran, not only to back up Matt Ryan and, and, and be there in case an injury happens, but also to help develop and work with Felipe Franks, who you like for the future. But not surprised at that. And I do think Josh Rosen is, is a good backup quarterback. And he has not lived up to the expectations of being a top 15 or top 10 pick from a couple of years back, but a guy with a lot of talent, a guy with experience, and that's what you want when you talk about a backup quarterback. And, of course, you mentioned uh, Cam Newton getting uh, released there by the Patriots, and you already saw the Falcons fans uh, going, oh, the Falcons, go get Cam Newton. It's like, 
you realize Matt Ryan like never misses a game. Like why why are you going out and getting uh, Cam Newton? So I, I think that's just the internet trolls trying to feed that, that one there. But uh, Cam Newton released. That means Mac Jones is going to be the starter. What do you think that means for Cam? Does he find a landing spot? Because uh, I, I guess the the talking points are: look, he wanted to be a starter, doesn't want to be a backup. Well, where are you going to go that will take you right now? I mean, people are like, oh, you got first first year quarterbacks coming in off the draft. Obviously, teams are going to stick with them potentially. And you hear stuff like Matt. I mean, Matt Ryan is not going anywhere with Atlanta. Where do you think Cam Jones or Cam Jones, Cam Newton, uh, ultimately ends up? Yeah, I don't know. I do think he's still a starter in this league. You know, he's been one of the great quarterbacks of this generation and is what in his early 30s, I believe is 32. So I think still has some good football ahead of him. Maybe Washington. I don't know. You know, you never know and uh, might come in to a quarterback competition and ultimately win that job. But I think I think Cam uh, still has plenty of good football. I was a little surprised uh, that you go with Matt Jones right away. But when you think about Max collegiate resume, you know, people forget this or kind of overlook it because there was so much uh, just just talent on that Alabama roster and so many talking points. Mac Jones last year at Alabama set the new single season passer rating record for college football, uh, which we've seen broken a couple of times now the last few years with uh, Baker Mayfield and, and, and Joe Burrow. Kyler Murray was right there. Now it's it's uh, it's it's a. Uh, um, Mac Jones's record. So I think I'm a little surprised that, that, that they moved on from Cam. Again, I think he still has some really good football ahead of him. But Mac Jones had a really successful college career, and they're going with him right away. Uh, to me, Cam is a guy that can definitely start in the league. It's always interesting to watch the kind of the quarterback conversations change. I mean, a few, right, Kevin, a week or two ago, uh, Trevor Lawrence was in a battle for the starting job with Gardner Minshew and now Gardner Minshew is in Philadelphia so you never know what's going to happen who's going to get moved who's going to get traded uh you know is a backup really really a backup in terms of he's not going to be a starter and there's no chance or is there a backup that might could play his way into some playing time I don't know there's a lot of uncertainties but I definitely think Cam Newton can still be a starter in the league yeah again some other uh, interesting news and notes Devonta Freeman, released by the Saints, just signed, uh, what, three, four weeks ago. Uh, BJ, if you're the Falcons, I mean, you're sitting there looking at, uh, what, Kadri Allison and all that. Do you, do you take a run and say, hey, you were just released? Would you have any interest in bringing Devonta Freeman back? I would, yeah. I mean, was a great player for you. Obviously knows the organization, played with a number of guys that are still there. Uh, I, I think you – you at least bring him in and 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 see. And that's no disrespect to the backs that are on the roster. But if you have a guy that's a former Pro Bowl player, still still can play and and you know isn't isn't 35 years old, obviously has been productive for you. Yes, I, I mean absolutely. I mean, and it may not be you're going to come in and be a guy that's going to get 15 carries a game, but to provide depth, I think Mike Davis expectations are high for him. But what I call Devonta Freeman, yes. Yes, I think that would be a move that makes sense. And that's, Kevin, what you're talking about. You don't just see it at the quarterback position. You see it everywhere where maybe a guy that you kind of assumed, all right, he's going to make Team X or Team Y gets cut, and now you reevaluate your own roster. And you look around and go, could he fit in with us? Could we make room for him? So I think if I'm Atlanta, yes. I mean, would you? I would call Devonta Freeman. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely would be worth a uh, worth a look. I mean, uh, uh, to me, I mean, we didn't see Mike Davis in the preseason. I, to me, BJ, I'm 
I have concerns about certain areas uh, of the Falcons team. I think running back is one of them. And if I have an opportunity to bolster uh, what I'm doing right there, I, I take advantage of that opportunity and do it. I, I would definitely at least see where he's at if there's interest there. And even if he's not the feature guy, even if you're sold, Mike Davis is going to be the guy. Why not have him as a two? I mean, I think it's becoming readily apparent, BJ, much like we're seeing in college football, in the National Football League, you need multiple guys to tote the rock. It's just a smart strategy and, and way of doing things uh, in 2021 National Football League, you know, kind of strategy, putting your football team together. Agreed. Rotational player. You hear that term all the time with defensive ends, linebackers, defensive backs. Uh, not so much quarterbacks, but you see that at other positions on the field. And I'm with you. That's definitely true at running back. And I think it will be a move that makes sense. So that's just some news and notes from around the National Football League. Uh, today we're talking college football. Later in the show, a lot of big games, not just Georgia Clemson. In week number one, we'll hit some of those. Could there be some underdog upsets in those games? We'll get to that. But when we come back, uh, the road streak ended for the Atlanta Braves. It had to at some point with B.J. Bennett's uh, market correction. But uh, the Braves lose to the Dodgers. Gaurav Vidak will join us as we are now getting set for the home stretch. After tonight, there will be 30 games left for the Braves to try to make the playoffs. He'll join us when we come back. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to be here with you on this Tuesday. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, glad you're making us a part of your day. Braves three and a half up over the Philadelphia Phillies there in the East. And our next guest here to talk about uh, the Braves getting ready for the final month of the regular season. Gaurav Vidak of Talking Chop joining us here on 3 Now. Gaurav, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are you? Hey, we are doing uh, fantastic. Uh, 30 games to go after tonight, and I believe of those final 30, uh, close to 20 of them, if you look at where the Mets are, but uh, 20 of those final 30 against teams with losing records. How do you feel about uh, the Braves? It's just about getting through this Dodgers series, and you feel like you're in good shape to hold off the Phillies at that point? Pretty much it, right? Uh, Dodgers are really the last uh, the last big series for us. After that, it's the Rockies, Nationals, Marlins, and then the Rockies again. Uh, you have that last stretch of games against the Phillies, but you know the the goal probably is to make sure the lead's big enough where those last three games of the regular season don't really matter. It's it's really it's been fun watching the Braves uh, really come together this past month. And I remember just like a, a couple months ago when you had me on, I was. I was adamant about that bullpen being a lot better than they were. And sure enough, you know, that they've shortened games because of how dominant they've been. It's been, frankly, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Even like, including what the Braves had to give up for these acquisitions, it's been absolutely unreal. I think Jorge, uh, Jorge Soler has been just an absolute treat to have, and the Braves really didn't give too much to acquire him. He's turned around in his past 26 games. He's got a 954 OPS. And right before the, the, the trade itself, he was with the Royals, and he was hitting 192 with a 658 OPS. You weren't sure what you were going to get. You knew that he was a bit of a lottery ticket, and, and sure enough, the Braves seem to be cashing in on that lottery. Having him start every single game has been so big for the Braves. 
It provides so much stability. They've been able to move in and out with Jock Peterson uh, into the lineup. Adam Duvall's shown off his versatility playing center field the other day. Uh, these acquisitions have been absolutely massive, and they really, really help the Braves create a lineup that's comparable to last year, where one through you know one through seven, one one through seven are really, really strong, uh, and there's no real cheap outs anywhere. It's become a very, very strong offense, good starting pitching, and a really good uh, bullpen. So right now, the recipe for success seems to be really uh, coming together for the Braves. Gaurav, VDoc Talking Chop, joining us here on 3 and Out. Uh, infield has been tremendous, and uh, we may have asked you this uh, a while back, but looking at the numbers, is this the best Braves infield they've ever fielded? Uh, obviously from an offensive standpoint, maybe even a defensive standpoint as the, the collective around the horn? That's a, that's a really, really great question, and I need to actually dig in and do the research. But honestly, between Freeman, Ozzie, Dansby, and Austin, I really can't think of anyone, uh, any other Braves team that's had an offense this explosive. Uh, Travis back as well, you know, if he's able to hit his stride, you might have an entire infield of plus hitters and plus defenders. It's really something special right now. Uh, you know, I think right now it's it's got to be a runaway for Fernando Tatis. Uh, he's had such an amazing year. Honestly, if Acuna was still around, uh, I think it's not even a question. He's he's running away with the award. Um, I think you can actually make somewhat of a better case for Freeman, especially if Freddie finishes off September and really continues to hit the way he did. He's going to end up being, you know, the leader in almost all the categories for the Braves once again uh, outside of, well, actually, I think he's he's uh, tied with Riley and Omers, too. So I think Freeman has the better shot, but it's been such a pleasant surprise watching Austin, who, you know, lots of people, lots of teams wanted to draft him out of, college, out of high school as a pitcher. Braves took a gamble on him at third base, and, I mean, can you really say, like, he's, he's now in the MVP discussions. It's been unreal watching him develop, and I, I can't, if there's one thing that I believe in is that Austin will come back next year and probably improve on all those numbers. That's just the type of player he is. Gaurav Vidoc, Talking Chop, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, uh, and Gaurav, you look at this Braves pitching. Uh, obviously, Drew Smiley, not good uh, last night. Do you feel pretty good about the top three being uh, going into the playoffs if you make it there? Obviously, being... A Morton, a Freed, and an Ian Anderson. I know Waskari Noah's pitched really well. Where do you feel the Braves are trying to look at this thing as they get farther into September in terms of potentially setting up their playoff rotation? I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head right there. It's got to be Morton, Freed, and Anderson. Anderson, I got an opportunity. To, I watched his last couple of starts in Gwinnett before he came up to Atlanta uh, after the injury, and he's looking like the Ian of last year. You know, he was painting the corners at 95, 96. His curveball's always been plus, and then that changeup came back, and he's been, he was absolutely dominant when I watched his last rehab appearance, and now I, I truly do think he's back. He makes his first game, his first start from the uh, from rehab, and you know he puts up 5.2 innings of scoreless baseball. That's even though there were no strikeouts, that's hard to do against a major league team. So I think you got it right. I think it's got to be those three, at, uh, you know, kind of spearheading this team. Has has impressive save numbers, but you're talking about 
many instances where it, it comes really close to going the other way, you know, gives up a run when you have a two-run lead, loads the bases, and then gets out of it. How do you evaluate where Will Smith is right now? That's also an absolutely wonderful question. Uh, yeah, you look at his overall numbers, you compare them to most closers in Major League Baseball, he's right up there, right? He's got a good amount of save, uh, save conversion rate, all those. Uh, but it is that thing. He, he makes these games interesting right now. And, and come playoff time, every single batter counts. So I assume he's probably going to finish out the season as the closer. But I, I think the Braves might do a little uh, closer by committee here in the uh, postseason should they make it. You know, the, with the likes of, uh, of Matzik being absolutely dominant, Minter's come back with an absolute vengeance. You know, they have a couple of really intriguing arms to take up that last spot. Uh, so... I think Smith will probably finish out the the regular season as the closer, but I think it's going to be a real conversation from Brian Snicker and the rest of that staff heading into the post. Yeah, Gorov, for me, it's just infuriating because, you know, Brian Snicker comes out and is like, well, he gets saves. And it's like, well, as kind of goes along the line of what you're saying, like, yeah, if you just look at the the save number and the blown save number, it probably doesn't look too bad. But for me, closing games in the regular season – uh, not going to be the same as closing games in October. And I don't know if I trust him in a tough spot against a playoff team when obviously the last three outs come October are way more important than trying to put the, the Rockies away in early September. I 100% agree with you. Yeah, it's still closing games, but do you really want to have that kind of strain, you know, at the last final inning uh, in the postseason where you lose, you're out? Uh, I think – like I said, like I, I, I do believe Will Smith is a really good reliever, but right now something's off. He's giving up way too many home runs. He's having trouble with his fastball. He's being becoming way too reliant on his devastating slider, uh, which makes him a little bit predictable. So I think I think it's in the best interest for the Braves in the postseason to kind of bring him in there. You know, work those matchups, say in the sixth or seventh inning, and have someone like Matzik who's been. Let's be real, absolutely overwhelming major league hitters right now possibly slot in at the back end. It really depends on how they feel, I'm sure, uh, in that inning. But for me, I would probably take Will out of the closer. Well, again, we're just talking about the postseason. Regular season, he's going to finish out. But the post, I, I think I think Brian and, and the rest of the staff might get a little creative. How, how do you do that, though? Because so much of baseball is like, hey, guys feel good in their roles and this is their roles. I mean, is it as simple as – Hey, on September 30th, I think the regular season actually ends first part of October. October 2nd, you're the closer. October 3rd, hey, man, think you can get it done for us in the sixth inning? I mean, how do you kind of transition away from that if that is a thought in your head? Yeah, you know, as a fan, it's, it's easy to say something like that, right? You can easily say something like that. Uh, as a player, you never know what's going on in their mind. And they, the, you know, everyone talks about how that ninth inning role is for a very, very select amount of people. Like, no, no, not everybody can handle that pressure of closing a game. That's something I don't have experience with. So, honestly, like, I can be just making things up. But I would want to make sure my team is best optimized for a win. And right now, that's unfortunately not having Will back there. Uh, players like Matzik and, and uh, Minter, they do have postseason success. You saw Minter uh, start in the postseason at the Dodgers last year and do absolutely fantastic. Uh, so you kind of, for me, you, you gauge the scenario, you talk to the relievers, you have an open conversation and kind of 
tell them exactly what decision-making, why you're making it, those decisions that you are, and hope that it works out. Again, like, it, it is baseball. Things are different. It, it very well might not happen, but for me, that's personally what I would do. I would address the situation, take a look at Matic's numbers, take a look at Mentor's numbers, just sit down and, and tell them that this is what they're going to be doing. And they are professional baseball players. Should they want to continue their careers, they do need to adapt. So I'm hoping that something like that might happen and it's better for everyone's careers. Finally, of course, the Braves have to get there first. But if this team wins the division, gets into the playoffs, what what's the ceiling? Can this team win a series in your mind? Maybe even a couple of what can they do in the playoffs in your mind? Oh, they they can absolutely with with the trade line uh, trade deadline acquisitions, they can absolutely win a series. Uh, when you can rely on Morton, Freed, and Anderson, I do think that's one of the top three uh, top three rotations in a postseason. The, the lineup is very, very strong. You're able to work those matchups, and you have a really, really strong bullpen. You can catch fire any time. You know, the Nationals, they're very proud of their, of their World Series title when they were downright, you know, left for dead at the beginning of the season. They, caught, they got hot, and they ran that all the way to a title. I think the Braves could kind of easily do that. They won't be favored, of course, uh, because they're all strong teams. You look at the Dodgers lineup, uh, and you're like, wow, that's – that's just how do you beat that. Um, but you can catch lightning in a bottle. It is possible. Uh, I do think the Braves are more than capable, as long as everyone stays healthy, to win a series, maybe two. If they really catch fire, who knows? Gaurav Vida, Talking Chop, our guest here on 3 and Out. and we got a month push to kind of get us there. Uh, Gaurav, appreciate the time. We'll talk soon. Thanks much. Thanks so much, guys. Gaurav Vidak of Talking Chop joining us here on 3 and Out, Braves and Dodgers. Again, late uh, tonight, those 10-10 first pitches are killing me, BJ. Yeah, Kev, let me ask you that same question because, you know, it's been amazing how how quickly this team has gotten to where it is with the success and, you know, the you know the winning streak and all like that. In your mind, what's the playoff kind of ceiling, or, or, or is there one? Yeah, I, look, I, I think this is a team that when they're playing at peak level is really, really good, and I feel like they could beat anybody out there. Are they World Series good? I don't quite have that feel. Could they be in a similar situation they were last year? I think absolutely. Uh, could they be in an NLCS uh, to, to, to go to the World Series? Potentially, uh, when they're playing offensively uh, the way they're capable of, when they're pitching uh, the way they're capable of, they can absolutely do that. I remember saying that for months here on the show. This Braves team is better than they are playing. And I know you and, and Ben kind of at times are like, well, at some point you are what you are. And I was like, I understand that. I still think this Braves team is better than what they're putting out there night in and night out. And I do think there's a lot to be said for getting hot at the right time. And we've, we've seen it all throughout baseball. Uh, for a number of years, wildcard teams were making the playoffs and people are making the World Series. And people are like, why does this keep happening? Well, they also have to play the hottest baseball to get in the postseason. Uh, and so September was really good. The year the Colorado Rockies, uh, I think, uh, went to the World Series. They won some ridiculous amount of games. It was like they won 22 of 26 coming down the stretch of the season to win the division and get in the postseason. And they were left for dead. So I think a lot of baseball is it's a marathon, not a sprint. And there's a lot of things said in June about teams like, oh, nope, it's over. When you look at teams that are underachieving for what they are, like at some point you feel like this thing is going to get figured out. 
And when the Braves did, look what happened. 13 straight wins on the road. They won, what, 19 of 21 games? Just something stupid. Uh, and really turned their season around. And you look at those additions made at the trade deadline. They've been fantastic. Jorge Soler has been way better with the Braves than he was with the with the Dodgers. I mean, excuse me, with the Kansas City Royals. Jock Peterson has been solid night in, night out. Adam, Adam Duvall has been good. I know that was a guy you wish the Braves had never gotten rid of. Uh, he's been fantastic. And then you get your solid catching back where you have major league catching night in, night out, and vote can be the every fifth day guy. That's not a bad drop-off. And you all of a sudden sit around. I mean, think about it. All of a sudden you look around and go, huh, Riley Swanson, Albies, Freeman, and Darno. That's pretty good. And when you say stuff like, is this the best infield the Braves have ever put out there? You sound like you're being disrespectful. Well, what about Chipper? I'm talking about as a collective unit. And the numbers, if you look at it, would say there hasn't been. Ozzie Albies hits like one or two more homers. He's at a career high. And the Braves have an entire infield over 20 home runs, or over 25 home runs. And I think they're having a case that maybe you could have the entire infield over 30 home runs. That's, that, that doesn't happen. And you have Austin Riley playing a phenomenal third base. Dansby's already regarded as a solid, if not gold glove level shortstop. Freddie Freeman's got a gold glove at first base. And Ozzie Albies is a solid defender. I mean, how much better does it get uh, if you're talking about that? And I know, BJ, I'm, I am the biggest one saying don't be a prisoner of the here and now. But at some point, you look at it and say up the middle, certainly the Braves have never had a shortstop second base combo as good offensively and defensively as what they have right now. Austin Riley ain't Chipper Jones, but I don't think Chipper Jones played with an infield as good as Dansby, uh, Ozzie Albies, and Freddie Freeman all the way around either. So I, I think you could be looking at one of the truly special uh, around-the-diamond infields the Braves have ever, ever put out there on the field. No, I'm with you. There's a lot to be excited about. Hold off the Phillies, get in the playoffs, and we'll see. Yep, we got more to get to here on the show. We'll talk college football, a huge week one. So much Georgia Clemson, you forget There's four other games with teams in the top 25 playing each other. We'll get to that when we come back. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hey, BJ, so much to talk about with Georgia and Clemson that you forget there's other games going on this week that are also very big. Alabama, Miami, Louisiana, Texas, top 25 matchups, one against each other, Penn State. Penn State, Wisconsin, two teams in the top 25 playing each other. Florida State, Notre Dame, a big, you know, kind of classic a rivalry game there as well. But I wanted to look at a couple not Georgia Clemson games to see how you think the underdog, at least the underdog on paper uh, via the, the, the lines, can pull off the upset. Let's start there with Miami and Alabama. Now, I, I think we all agree this is going to be a long shot. But what has to happen if Miami is going to kind of pull off the impossible and beat Alabama? Yeah, it's tough. And uh, Dave Holcomb has a story up on this on southernpigskin.com. But I think it's big plays, right? Because if you think about any offense, you're going to have a really difficult time mounting a you know nine-play, 75-yard drive against Alabama. Alabama's defense, expectations are that it's going to be the best in the country. You look at the front seven, you add in Henry Toto Toto, of course, the transfer from Tennessee. It's going to be really difficult to sort of control the ball and move up and down the field with you know, kind of those long seven, eight-minute drives. Big plays. Charleston Rambo comes in from Oklahoma. Big play receiver. Can you get him out in space? Derek King obviously can make plays throwing it and running it. Can he have a couple of, you know, 20-plus yard runs? Mike Harley, big-time receiver. Can he uh, come up with a 30, 40-yard catch? I think that's how you do it. And then, and then the same thing defensively. Don't allow Alabama 
to have those big home run plays. That's how you lose momentum. And think about this. Alabama is still Alabama, but you have a new quarterback. You have a new running back. You have a new collection of wide receivers and some new offensive linemen. Make them earn everything. If I'm Miami defensively, I'm sitting back. I'm playing prevent. And I know people will go, oh, that's how you lose. Well, if, 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 if I'm facing an inexperienced opponent, I want to make sure that they don't get a 40-yard conversion or you know a 60-yard touchdown. I want them to have to earn it. I want Alabama to have to go eight, nine plays for 70, 80 yards and see if those young, inexperienced players can can continue to do that. But I think on offense, you have to get big plays because you are not going to be able to have that consistent ball control against Alabama. You don't want to get in third and longs, obviously, but I think you've got to take some shots. Take some shots downfield. Uh, uh, use King's mobility. You know, see if a trick play might come into the fold at some point. But I think big plays are going to be the key for Miami. Yeah, my, I think this is just a long shot, uh, BJ. Again, Miami's probably going to have to play perfect, and it still may not be enough uh, to beat Alabama in this one. This is one I know you've talked about uh, a lot because of the way they started last year, and maybe Texas is more with it because it, uh, of, of things that happened. But Texas and Louisiana, what's it going to take for Louisiana to do it, do it again and have just another signature win on their resume? Yeah, and I'm not sure that they're necessarily an, an underdog or should be, you know, depending upon how you look at it. But Steve Sarkeesian comes in at Texas. I think you have to do what you do. And I think if you're Louisiana, that means play physical. They have one of the best offensive lines in the country. Osiris Torrance, uh, an offensive guard, has gotten some preseason All-American attention. And even though you've lost some running backs, line up and run the football. Control and dictate the ebb and flow of the game. You're, you're on the road. When you're on the road, running the football always helps kind of quiets the crowd a little bit, allows you to control the energy. And I think Louisiana with Billy Napier, that's what they want to do every week, whether they're in a Sunbelt game, whether they're playing in Iowa State or, or a Texas. But they're going to they're gonna be confident. I mean, went to Iowa State in the Big 12, beat them by 17, had some big plays on special teams that afternoon. Maybe you can do that again on Saturday. But I think if you can command the line of scrimmage, run the football, average four or five yards an attempt, and then you wait, when you have your chances downfield with Levi Lewis, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the country, he's going to be proficient throwing it. I think it starts at the line of scrimmage with that offensive line, one of the best groups in all of college football at any level. And if you can control the trenches and run the football, you have a really good chance to win the game. All right, moving along, Florida State and Notre Dame. I know this is one that in years past has been huge. Florida State trying to regroup, get themselves back into some semblance of, of what they were against Notre Dame, a team that has been battling for playoff spots uh, the last handful of years, doing a good job, consistently a top-10 program. What is Florida State going to have to do to try to pull off this upset? And this one's on Sunday, Sunday evening, remember. Uh, they're going to have to get some big plays out of the pass rush, and I think that's where Florida State has, has struggled at times. Uh, I think they were 100 sacks, and if you give Notre Dame time to sit back throw some passes in addition to run the run the football, which is what they're going to want to do with Kyron Williams. You're going to have a tough time. So defensively, you've got to find a way to be active, be disruptive at the line of scrimmage. And I think that, you know, is, is, is multifaceted. Can you limit some of the rushing production from Notre Dame, which is what they want to do? And can you get after the quarterback when you have an opportunity? I think a lot of what 
uh, Florida State wants to do is going to need to start on the defensive line. And some may say, hey, what about the quarterback position? Or what? Well, you scored against Notre Dame last year. These two teams played a year ago in South Bend, and Florida State scored 26 points. The problem was they gave up 42, and a lot of that was because Notre Dame won some of those battles at the line of scrimmage. And it's a really good offensive line. That's a really good offensive line and a really good tailback. But I think you've got to limit some of that rushing production, and you've got to find a way to get pressure on the passer. If you can do that, I think Florida State's got a chance. I think I think you'll see this game be competitive, but I think it starts there on the defensive front for the Seminoles. And yeah, you think about the uh, the kind of the glory days, and everything you just said would have been unthinkable uh, when you're talking about breaking down a Florida State. Hey, if they can win the line of scrimmage and get a pass rush, uh, they they may have like that was never even a question under uh, the Bobby Bowd days, like, oh, they're going to have a pass rush and they'll be fine on the offensive line, and that's where they're still trying to rebuild uh, this program, BJ. And it, it, how far off do you think they are? And I know people say, like, I, I think you'd run the risk of putting Florida State in that Miami category where you're going to constantly chase the Bobby Bowden days and say, well, that's what we're trying to get back to. And it's like, that's probably not possible. Uh, Miami say, hey, we're going about the, the, the glory days of Kane football. Are you going to get back to that? I don't know if that's possible, but – how, how far off are they from being back to where they are kind of one-two in that conversation with, uh, with, with Clemson in the Atlantic division? Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that with Florida State or Miami or whoever. You know, you're not going to have a stretch where you finish in the top four for 14 years in a row. I mean, that's, that's absurd. And what Bobby Bowden did, that's, that, that's not realistic, okay? But do I think Florida State can take some steps forward this year? Yes, I think it's a transition year where you feel like this schedule comes with some challenges, but you also feel like you need to show some improvement. I think Florida State plays kind of like Georgia Tech, plays four or five of the top 15, 20 teams. If you can win one of those games and kind of get a highlight reel win and win the games you feel like you're supposed to, I think that's how you move forward is is understand where you are. You're not going to make the college football playoff this year. That's not realistic. But can you take some positive steps? There's still a lot of talent on this team, a lot of talent on this team. But I think this is a good barometer for Florida State. And I, I don't want to talk about moral victories for Florida State. You want to win. You want to beat Notre Dame, and they're capable. But I think if you also show improvement and show that you're in a, in a tight game, that can give you confidence moving forward with a tough schedule upcoming. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Good to have you here on this Tuesday. If you missed any portion of the show, ESPNCoastal.com or go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or our uh, YouTube page at ESPN Coastal. You can get a podcasted version of the show each and every day. So uh, we encourage you to do that if you miss the show. As always, you can hit us up on Twitter as well, at Pigskin Radio. BJ Braves tonight against the uh, Dodgers late, and then tomorrow starts college football all over again. I'm ready, and and you look to tonight, a big series with L.A. I, I think you need to take one of the next two. You, you, you'd feel a lot better moving into the final stretch of your schedule, but you're in a good place. You're still three and a half up. I think Charlie Morton is, is the guy you want on the mound when you have a big game, as, as, as we talked about with Gorov. I think Charlie Morton's going to be your number one in the postseason. He's going to be your – assuming you get there, he's going to be the guy that goes first. I think he's your best option. And uh, I said yesterday I didn't feel great with uh, – with Smiley on the mound. I feel a lot better tonight with Morton on the mound, so we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, huge college football weekend. Uh, I think the fact that it goes to Sunday and Monday is is awesome. Uh, looking forward to all those games. And storylines that we've been talking about, Kevin, for six months. Every se- We're, we're going to have real games 
to talk about real results. Uh, so excited for Georgia Clemson, excited for Alabama, Miami, so many games. I think Louisiana, Texas is going to be really interesting. I think Georgia State Army chatting with Coach Elliott is going to be a lot of fun. There are just some great games on the schedule. And, uh, yeah, that Monday night game is in Atlanta, of course, with uh, Louisville and Ole Miss. Yeah, and that's one that's going to be a fun matchup that nobody's really kind of talking about. Obviously, there's a full week of really high-profile matchups. But talk about Lane Kiffin against uh, Louisville. I got, that could be a, a, an up-and-down-the-field kind of football game coming up on Monday. Yeah, and you have Malik Cunningham and uh, Matt Corral. So excited for that. Storylines everywhere. And, of course, we know this. Whatever happens, we're all going to overreact. If this team loses, their season is done. If this team wins, put them in the playoff. So get ready for that because that is undoubtedly coming. Do you feel you're an overreactor to week one more than any other week, or are you just an overreactor in general? Good question, and I appreciate the options. (laughs) Am I a comprehensive uh, person that overreacts? Probably week one. I probably care, evaluate too much, uh, take too much from week one. Yeah, we've got more to come as we go throughout the week here on 3 and Out. Certainly talking more Georgia and Clemson as this one is finally getting in our sights uh, coming down the road here uh, on Saturday night. We'll talk more about that and certainly a big weekend of college football as well. Georgia Southern uh, opening this week. We'll talk to Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. We will see you tomorrow 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.